Hello, Restored Temecula. I hope that you're doing well. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Herrick, and I'm one of the pastors alongside Tom. And I want to welcome you this morning, or whenever you're tuning in, wherever you're tuning in, to uh, the next message here in our series, which we are calling Teach Us to Pray. This is a series about the Lord's Prayer. So if you haven't checked out the first few messages, I highly encourage you to do so. They kind of all build on one another. We've been exploring what it means to be God's children who now have a new priority for our lives, his kingdom, his rule and reign coming down to earth and partnering with him through prayer to see his goodness, his mercy, his name, his, his glory, his honor, his fame spread throughout the earth. And we get to partner with him in prayer to see that happen. So we are in a series on, on the Lord's Prayer where Jesus is teaching us what that's all about. And so I'm so glad that you're joining us. I'm so glad that you're tuning in. And uh, this morning I had the, the privilege of talking about what it looks like to ask God for everything that we need, to ask him for our daily bread. Very famous uh, verse, but we get to unpack it. Maybe it's a verse that you've heard many times. Certainly it's something that I prayed as a child. Uh, my parents had me pray that every day when we got in the car and went to school. Give us our daily bread. We pray the Lord's Prayer. But uh, honestly, I didn't really understand what that meant. And uh, I'm starting to understand it a little bit better now. So I'm really excited to kind of share what I feel like God's put on my heart for our church. So uh, thank you for jumping in. Thank you for tuning in, listening. Um, I'm going to pray real quick before I get started just to ask God to help me. And uh, then we'll dive in. Father, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you that you are in charge. Thank you that you are Lord, you are King, you are gracious, generous, good to us. And I thank you that we can come to you as sons and daughters uh, because you are a trustworthy dad who is for us, who is with us, and who is doing something beautiful and amazing in and through us in the world. And I thank you that we get to partner with you in prayer. And I, th I want to ask that through this message, through this kind of the weakness of my preaching, that your uh, power and beauty and majesty would be on display in such a way where we would have a desire, we would want to pray, that we would think, oh my gosh, it's silly that I don't pray. Why would I not ask my Father for what I need, God? Would that be the overflow of this message? Would it lead to worship for, in my life, in my heart, and also for everyone who's listening and tuning into this message, wherever they're at? Father, we love you, and we thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen. As I... Uh, kick off this message, I want to share a quick story with you. When I was 12 years old, I was playing baseball, and uh, it was the most fun I'd ever had on a baseball team. It was the kind of the, the majors division. If any of you played Little League, you know it's just it's a ton of fun. We won the league. This was in Aliso Viejo in South Orange County. We won the league as 12-year-olds. We went to the Tournament of Champions. We got knocked out by like a last inning grand slam, heartbreaker, still a little salty 20 years later, but it was just so much fun. And then next season I turned 13 and I jumped into a, a different division where they pushed everything back. They pushed the fence back 100 feet, they pushed the mound back and the bases and so it was a big jump. So there was one year, one fall where they had a transition where it's like anybody wants to get used to this slowly kind of on ramp into this big change, you can play in the fall league in that fall division and um, and you can learn and get used to it. So I played in that, and that meant that there were less kids playing. It was not as popular of a time to play. Uh, baseball is a spring sport. And so I got to play. And it was kind of a, a time when the, the coaches kind of let you try things that they would never let you try in the spring. So I'll never forget the one uh, Saturday where I got to pitch. I love pitching. I was not great at it, which is why nobody had me pitch before during the regular season when it really counted and mattered. But it was the fall, so the coach was like, sure, you can pitch. 
And uh, I'll never forget that day. I kind of got started. First inning, I was feeling good. Got three quick, three quick outs. Second inning, feeling good. Three quick outs. Uh, then there was a, a rain delay, so the game paused. And then uh, we picked it back up. Third inning, uh, I got through without any hits. Fourth inning, no hits. Fifth inning, no hits. And before I knew it, I'm in the sixth inning of a seven-inning game, and I am throwing a no-hitter. And something I've certainly never done before. I've actually never seen it before. I hadn't got to that point in the Little League setting. And so if you don't know, if you're not super familiar with baseball, uh, throwing a game where, where no one on the other team gets a hit is not common. It's rare. And for someone like me, who is not great at pitching, it was all the more rare. So sixth inning comes through. Boom, boom, boom. One, two, three. They're out. And then now I'm in the seventh inning. I'm on the mound. And I'm like, nervous. Kind of anxious and I'm like just trying to throw strikes I'm a little bit tired so the first first batter makes an out second batter makes an out and then up comes the last batter I'm like I think this could happen and so I lean in I throw the last pitch balls hit out to the outfield the center fielder kind of camps under it catches it and before I knew it I had thrown a no hitter something I'd never seen certainly never done before and I was excited I was so happy, so pumped. My teammates were like, dude, chill out. This is an exhibition. This is a glorified exhibition season. Uh, you know, half of the league is here. But for me, it didn't matter. I was so excited. And so, of course, the next day I was you know, going to school and everybody within earshot heard about how I pitched and how I threw a no-hitter uh, over the weekend. And in my retelling, I just talked about all the different things that I faced, all the different challenges and how I kind of overcame them and so on and so forth. And as I've been prepping for this message particularly, this story has come back. And it's one that I honestly haven't thought about a lot. I don't have a lot of accomplishments on the baseball field, but for whatever reason, this one over the past 25 years has only come to mind a few times. But this week as I'm prepping for this message, this has been on my mind and on my heart. Why? I've been praying about this message, and I feel like God keeps bringing this story to mind because at the end of the day, when things go well, it's natural, it's easy to take credit. I just kind of talked about all the things I did till that led to a no-hitter. And it got me thinking about how just in life in general, when things are going well for us, isn't it the easiest thing in the world just to take credit, whether we say it or not? When there's money in the bank account, when there's food in the pantry, when there is, there's cars in the driveway, when things are taken care of, we can kind of cruise and we can kind of get into like an autopilot mode. And in some cases we can kind of become proud of the fact that taking care of everything. I've worked hard and look at what I have. When things go well, it's easy to take credit. And as I was thinking about this, there's a flip side to this as well. When things are not going well, when things are difficult, when things are uncertain, when money's tight, when, when there's uncertainty, it's easy to worry, to become anxious, to panic even. This is natural, it's human. Here's the thing, today I think we have an invitation from Jesus himself through his word to leave the natural aside. And I'll leave it behind us and press into the realities of life in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the, the kingly rule of God over peoples and nations. We get to press into the realities of God's kingdom. And we're going to learn to pray together. 
in a way that I really do believe rewires our hearts and helps us to avoid being stunted by pride or on the other side, stifled by anxiety as we go on about our daily lives. So I think this is important and I'm so glad you're tuning in and I wanna encourage you to stick with me as we work through a variety of things that I feel like God's put on my heart through this text for our church. So Matthew 6, 9 to 13, if you are following along, you can open up to Matthew 6. The verses should be on the screen as well. I wanna give you a little bit of context. So what are we reading? We are reading the Sermon on the Mount. It is possibly the most famous teaching that Jesus ever gave. And I dare say it might be the most famous teaching, ethical teaching of any kind that's ever been shared in the entire world. It is powerful. It is well known. But I think sometimes we can become a little bit familiar with what it says and it can lose a bit of its freshness. And that's not on Jesus. I think that's just, we just get used to things and we've heard them before. I want to encourage you to listen with fresh ears, with, with a fresh sense of expectation that God wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to us today through this teaching here that we're going to read. What is Jesus doing in the Sermon on the Mount? He is comparing, contrasting the true and good and beautiful way that we can follow the Lord, an honest, genuine expression of faith in this world versus a false version of following the Lord in the world and an illegitimate form of discipleship, of following him. And the contrast that Jesus makes really have to do with performance a lot of the time. We can have a tendency of wanting applause and we can kind of like perform. Uh, You know, prayer can become a performance. Fasting can become a performance. Even doing good things like giving to the poor can become a performance that we want to see. Is anybody looking? Does anybody hear what I'm saying? Does anybody hear how brilliant I sound or how good I look? You know, like we become a spiritual Ron Burgundy's. Like everyone, come see how good I look. Uh, And Jesus is saying, that's not the way. That's not the way of the Lord that he's inviting all of the subjects of the kingdom to embrace and to follow. That's the way of performing and pretending. He's saying, let's leave those ways behind and putting other people down as well. Let's leave these things behind. Let's embrace the realities of the kingdom. Life is good under the king. Let's talk about it. So he's meeting us in our pride and he's meeting us in our anxiety and he is inviting us to trust him through prayer. Let's read Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13. This is what they say. It says this, Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11, and this is our verse for today. Give us today our daily bread. Today's bread, today. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Verse 13, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So we're going line by line through the Lord's prayer. And today we're going to focus on verse 11, which says, give us today our daily bread. So first question that pops into my mind, what did that mean to the original audience when they heard, give us this day our daily bread? So I want you to try your best to get into the mind of someone who's a first century uh, a Jew who lives in the, in, with Jesus in the Second Temple era. Here's a quote that I want to read. 
It says this, an observant Jewish farmer, common trade at that time, an observant Jewish farmer, rich or poor, living in the land of Israel in the second temple period, so somebody who lived in the same time as Jesus, would remember this phrase, grain, wine, and oil. Every time he recited Deuteronomy 11 at the Shabbat meal. On Friday, okay, the Shabbat is the Sabbath. It's the day of where the, the community would pause to remember that life wasn't on their shoulders, but they were dependent on God. So that was the Shabbat meal, Friday night to Saturday night. On Friday night, the Shabbat dinner table would be set with challah bread made from grains and wine from grapes and then oil, an oil lamp filled with olive oil, which would give light to the meal. Each, and this is the key, listen, listen to this, each is a reminder that their daily bread, which is the essentials of life, came from the hand of the, of the Lord and that they were dependent on the Lord for their daily existence. Here's what I think someone who would have been, who would have lived in the time of Jesus, hearing him say these things would have walked away with. I think they would have thought, Jesus wants our hearts to be in a constant state of dependence on God and his provision. I'm going to read very quickly another quote. This type of request, this petition, this asking that Jesus is teaching, it acknowledges that God is the provider of every physical need, but it also reminds the petitioner to trust God to provide as the needs arise, and not necessarily in advance. Compare this with the lesson Israel had to learn during 40 years of daily manna. Any excess spoiled by the second day. You don't remember the story or haven't heard it. God delivered his people from bondage in Egypt, and then his people spent 40 years in the desert. After that point in time, they were hungry and thirsty and tired and cranky, as you might imagine would be the case if you're in the desert for 40 years. But what happened every day is that God provided manna, bread from heaven for his people. And anything that was left over the next day would spoil, it would rot. So they were always just one day away from starvation. And yet, they ate well during the entire time. What am I saying? What's, why am I reading this to you? I think it's important for us to remember something. In the kingdom, the king is far more comfortable with us living day to day than we typically are. Or in other words, another way of putting it is kind of using like something that we would understand from today, living paycheck to paycheck, if you will. He's way more comfortable with us living with that type of dependence, like someone who lives paycheck to paycheck, what many of us understand. He's very comfortable with that, even if we're not. So I want to ask the question, if you are honest today, is your mindset one that reflects daily asking, daily petitioning God for what you need? Or have you put your trust in the storehouse, which you can put away, which you can set aside? Whether that's savings, whether that's real estate, whether that's your retirement account, whether that's a stock portfolio, whether that's money under the mattress, uh, stuff that's in the garage, whatever. I'm not saying that the storehouse is necessarily, the things in that, that, that we can accumulate are necessarily bad. Actually, they can be a huge blessing. But what I am saying is that if we're not careful, that those things we've stockpiled can subtly change our hearts. In this text, we see that Jesus wants our hearts to be that of a dependent child. 
And instead, we can become an independent owner. Dependent child or independent owner. Which one is it for you? If you're anything like me, you probably see a little bit of both in you. And you probably, if you're like me, you would love to change. You would love to become more dependent, more needy on Jesus. So we think. We have moments where we resist that. But in the end of the day, we agree with what Jesus is saying. If you do agree with what Jesus is saying, you want to grow in that kind of dependence. So I think it's important to ask a question now. What is Jesus freeing us from when he teaches us to pray for our daily bread? I think there's tons of freedom in this. And so I've just spent time, as I prep for this message, thinking through the different things that Jesus wants to liberate us from. And there's a few. I'm going to try to go through them quickly. Number one, pride. I think there is this kind of like self-made, self-reliant, independent spirit that we can have. And I think it's very normal in our our culture. In fact, our our culture might even prize it, might, might make it something that we desire. And it can, in a sense, put us above other people, too, if, if we think it all the way through. Uh, I've done what I need to do to take care of myself. What have you done? That could very easily come with, with feeling like a self-made person, self-made man or woman. Here's the reality. I think Jesus wants to break us from that kind of pride because we are dependent on God's good gifts every single day. We are dependent on, for all of it. So I opened up with a story about my uh, no-hitter when I was... 13, 12 or 13 years old. Here's what I've been thinking about this week. In my retelling of the story, I'm the hero. I threw the no-hitter. I did what was needed. I overcame obstacles, so on and so forth. Here's the truth. Just a little random sampler that I thought about. I was dependent on my teammates. I did not catch the ball or throw the ball uh, to first base to make outs. My teammates did that. I was dependent on their defense. Well, my note hitter. I was dependent on the coach who decided to start me. I was dependent on the league that was less competitive because it was a fall league. I was competitive. I was dependent on the umpire who was probably thinking about lunch and wanting to get out of there. They were generous with the strike zone. I was dependent on, on my folks who had the finances to allow me to play baseball, to buy bats and gloves and a uniform. And I was dependent on the city that I lived in to have the funds to actually build a baseball field, and so on and so on. I was not, that was not an independent no-hitter that I threw. I was totally dependent on all kinds of people. And it's the same in our lives. We may have different successes, but when we really stop and think about it, we are not, it's not all on us. We have been given gifts and talents by God. We have been given opportunities by God. We, even the hard work, our work ethic has been given to us by God. So we are totally dependent, and that kills pride as we pray, give us today our daily bread. Give us what we need for today. It reminds us that we're dependent. Second thing, anxiety. I think Jesus wants to free us from anxiety through praying, give us today what we need for today. He teaches us us to pray for what we need today and not worry about tomorrow. And this frees us from the anxiety that comes when we trust in ourselves to take care of what we need, which is a big burden to carry, and it makes us very anxious. I'll tell you a quick story um, about what this could look like, this anxiety, and where it comes from. So my son Josh, he loves Star Wars. I showed him like episodes four and five months ago, and it's been like Star Wars every day, nonstop in our house. 
And uh, he's, he's, he's grown this love and affection for the stormtroopers. And he, he doesn't understand that they are pawns that are used by a genocidal regime for world conquest or universal conquest. He doesn't get that. So, like, all right, you know, we talked about it. He really wanted a stormtrooper kind of a plush doll or whatever, teddy bear. You know what I mean? And, um, and so I decided, yeah, I want to give him that. He asked for it. I want to give that. But I want to make it a surprise. I don't want him to know. And so one day, as I was about to, to buy this for him, I realized, oh, no, I got to tell my daughter. I need to get something for my daughter. I need to find out what kind of a stuffy she would want and get that for her. Because if he gets a stuffy and she doesn't, she's going to feel excluded and left out. It's going to cause envy and jealousy and robbery and all sorts of stuff. And over the course of time, I want to teach them to be happy for one another and to appreciate, celebrate with those who are celebrating as well as rejoice with those who are mourning because that's a part of what our inheritance is in the gospel when we know that we're loved and cared for. But for now, they're four and five, so this is what we do. Equal stuffies. And um, I, I called Addie and I was like, Addie, sweetie, come here. And so I called her upstairs and I told her, hey, I'm going to buy a, uh, a Stormtrooper stuffy for Josh. What stuffy do you want? I'm going to get one for you too. And so we start talking. Josh hears not the details of the conversation, but the voices. And he's like, what's going on over there? What are you guys talking about? And, uh, and I'm like, don't, don't worry about it, buddy. It's fine. Addie and I are just talking. And he just kept pushing and asking, and he just could not let it go. He starts to cry, actually, because he feels like he's getting left out, like Addie's getting something that he's not getting. He then throws himself on the ground and just starts, you know, writhing, and it was all because he thought he was being excluded. Here's the reality. It was Addie who was being included. Josh's gift was already secure, and it was coming. He was afraid of being left behind, and that is the anxiety that can come from comparison. And I know that if you think about it, I'm sure that you can agree that all of us struggle with an anxiety that rises up from comparison. What, they, what those people have, what those people have, what I don't have, the car, the house, the this, that, or the other thing. There's an anxiety that rises when we compare what we have to what other people have. And here's the thing, that anxiety that Josh felt, we can all, I think, resonate with it. It was a demonstration, a manifestation of distrust. As a dad, I have reasons sometimes to tell my kids, uh, wait, when they ask me for something, uh, not yet, or sometimes it's a no if I know it's gonna hurt them, or that it's, it just wouldn't be good for our family. And here's the reality, I am a sinful parent, but I wanna give good things to my kids anytime I possibly can, and they can trust me. I'm not perfect, but they can trust me. How much more can we trust our Father in heaven who is so generous to us, who is so generous with us, and not be anxious about feeling left behind or feeling excluded or feeling lesser than? Our Father loves us. He loves to give us good gifts, and there might be reasons or time, there might be times and seasons when we get a wait or not yet or potentially a no or whatever it is, but we can trust him. We don't have to play that comparison game, that anxiety that rises up out of us. Things that he wants to remind us that he's got us and, and he loves us. So anxiety, that's a manifestation of anxiety that I think Jesus wants to free us from. Quickly, I think Jesus also wants to free us from selfish materialism. Here's a quote that I thought was helpful. 
to be primarily concerned with material possessions not only shows a wrong perspective, but is also foolish since possessions can't last. Possessions aren't necessarily evil. They're just not everlasting. Uh, to trust in our wealth and our possessions and our home and our car, it's just silly. And I say that as a fellow struggler who is so prone and tempted to put my trust and my hope in stuff that is not everlasting. But our Father, His kingdom is everlasting. His goodness, His patience, His mercy, His rule and reign, that's all everlasting. That's where we can put our focus. Fourth thing, real quick, self-focus. I think Jesus wants to liberate us from self-focus as we pray, as we pray, for our daily bread. I think Jesus wants to liberate us from being just focused on our needs and what, what's relevant and near to us. What does it say? Give us today our daily bread. This is a collective prayer. He wants us to pray for the needs of the poor and the needy as well. If, if we're in a good spot, we get to pray for all of it, for our family, for our spiritual family, for God to provide. And I saw this recently, I'll just say this real quick, uh, in Beirut, there was a, a, a terrible explosion, I'm sure many of you saw it, that, that rocked the city, and, um, and I was reading about this, this idea of uh, give us today our daily bread, and how it's not just for me, but I can pray for people that are in my church family, I can pray for people in other parts of the world, and so I started praying for Beirut, that God would provide what they needed, the people of Beirut, and the next day, I was on social media and I found uh, on one of the people I follow on so- that I follow on social media an account that said that here's a group of Christians who are in Beirut to tell of the good news of the kingdom of God, of Jesus as the forgiving king who reigns and rules and restores. They're there for that purpose. And they got $215,000 that were raised, I think primarily through social media, to go and do justice, to go and give to the poor, to go and be a blessing in their community in Beirut. And it hit me like, that's it. God takes care of our daily needs and we can ask him, not just for what I need, but for our needs in this community and beyond. So we don't have to just pray for ourselves. And God can give us opportunities too to meet those needs. Next thing, hoarding. I think when we pray for our daily bread, there's a moderation that's built into it. Not for storehouses bursting with grain, but he teaches us to pray for our daily bread. Matthew 6, 19 to 20, do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Sorry, not that. Let me try again, let me start over. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. If we trust God with our daily needs, then we don't need to become hoarders in any way, shape, or form that can trust him to provide. Uh, We also, I don't think we need to become preppers who stockpile guns and ammo and food as they see the possibility of like an economic blow up or a disaster looming. As I understand these words of Jesus, Give us today our daily bread and the fact that it's, it's in a relationship with the God who is the creator and sustainer of the universe, whose kingdom is coming and as well as being done on earth as it is in heaven through our lives, through the church. If that is what Jesus is saying, then I don't think it's consistent 
to, to potentially hoard, to potentially take on this mindset, like the, the prepper mindset of like, hey, I can't really rely or trust on others, definitely not the government, so I'm gonna take, I need to take care of myself. I think that just misses it. I think it just misses the, the heart of God to provide for his children. Last thing, very quickly, entitlement. I think Jesus wants to liberate us and free us from entitlement as we pray for our daily bread. If the cross of Christ is real, what do we deserve? If he was put on the cross for our sins, what do we deserve? What are we entitled to? Judgment? Wrath? An eternity separated from the giver of all of the good gifts that we've enjoyed in this life? Everything is a gift. We are not entitled. We deserve nothing and we've been given everything. It's kind of like, that. let's dance, you know? We don't need to be entitled people. And I think this prayer really helps us to remember everything I have is gravy. Everything I have is a gift. And he just wants to free us from entitlement. So I think these are some of the things that Jesus wants to free us from. What might Jesus want to instill in us on the flip side? These are things that we can begin to let go of. What does he want to grab hold of? What what is Jesus instilling in us? Number one, I think he wants us to prioritize what matters most. As a disciple cares each day for the things God has trusted to him, God, his heavenly father or her, her heavenly father cares for his daily needs. Listen to these words, Matthew 6, 31 to 33. Don't worry. This is Jesus. Don't worry. Saying, what will we eat? Where's our daily bread going to come from? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Our clothes? What are All these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. And your Father in heaven knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God, the kingly rule of God over people and the nations. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the sorts of things that please God. Give yourselves to those things and all of these things that you've asked for, that you've been praying for, that you've been daily asking God to give you, our daily bread, these things will be provided for you. Here's a clarifying point. This isn't, God, give me what I need as I go about my business today. Rather, this petition, this lifestyle of petitioning and asking is more like this. Give me what I need, Father, so that I can be about your business today. I think that's what Jesus is saying. And it's in that context that we know he's going to provide for us. And so praying in this way helps us to prioritize what it is that matters most, his kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. That's the context. Second thing, I think Jesus wants to instill dependence. We daily depend on the Father's generosity as a gift. I don't need to get into all that necessarily. There's freedom and joy in knowing everything is a gift. Next thing, gratitude. I think praying for my daily bread this just this week has helped me to realize how God gives me one gift after another, after another to meet my daily needs. He gives me food and drink. He gives me air conditioning. Thank God for that. He gives me a phone to call my parents who are halfway around the world. He gives me friends. He gives me sunshine. He's given me this beautiful path to walk in in Paloma where I live for exercise. He has given me trees that line that path so I can stay out of the sun. Everything is a good gift from him. And as I pray for my daily needs, I'm filled with gratitude for them. What a life that would be, man. What if we were a people of gratitude? I think we are. What if we were sold out on gratitude as a community? What would that look like in the world? 
be amazing. Uh, sharing, very quickly. If everything is a gift from our generous Father, then why hold on tightly to our stuff as though we earned it, as though we deserve it, as if it's ours and ours alone? No, if everything is a gift, then we can see our possessions in a brand new light. We can enjoy them, take care of them, and share them. We've used that language before. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. As a dad, I love it when I give my son a toy and then he shares it with his sister. That makes my heart beam. That makes my heart so full. And on the flip side, it's pretty tough when I see the mind. No, this is mine. And, and the fighting and the wrestling for things uh, because I'm like, wait a minute, I gave you that. My intent was for you to enjoy it and share it. And I think there's something similar there with everything God gives us gives us to enjoy, gives us good gifts to enjoy richly, and then to share them with other people. And he's pleased by that sort of life. Uh, humility, I think Jesus wants to instill a humility in, in us. How silly is it to make life all about me proving myself, standing out because of my own achievements or my own knowledge, uh, to show that, you know, how silly is it to make life all about me winning or taking care of myself and so on. I'm not my own. Everything I have is a gift and I was bought with a price. If anything, all I'm proving, if, if I live life to prove myself, all I'm proving is my unbelief. My unbelief that I have been, that there's an identity that has been instilled in me as a son of God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for me to forgive me, to, to make me a part of his kingdom, to make me a son, to give me every good thing to enjoy. He has bestowed all these things on me graciously and freely. And so how could I then try to build a life separate from him and the life he's given me? It's just unbelief. And I could go on very quickly. What are the sorts of things we should be praying for, for our daily, when we think about our daily bread? Based on my study and my reading, I really do think we get to ask for anything that we need to be about his business in the world. So food, drink, uh, a house, a place to live, uh, a car to get around, so on and so forth. You can use your imagination. What you need to be about his business in the world. Okay, last thing. What does it look like to actually daily pray for these sorts of needs? I want to share some stories with you guys that have helped me before I close. There's a man, he's well known uh, in in the uh, kind of church history, in, within church history, his name is George Mueller. And he lived in England in the 1800s, and he was a remarkable man. He became a Christian, became a disciple of Jesus. About four years into his walk with Jesus, he had a profound uh, discovery that, we can, that he can actually live his life in utter dependence upon God's provision and care. And he wanted the church to see it. That was, he wanted the church to see, he wanted the world to see it, that a normal, ordinary Christian could live radically dependent and that God would provide and take care of all of their needs. And so he prayed and documented his prayers, a meticulous record keeper. So uh, some of the historians think that he prayed for 50,000 unique petitions and 30,000 of them were answered within a day. And there were others that took days or weeks or months, some that were never answered, but he had an amazing uh, track record of seeing prayers answered. And there's one prayer in specific I want to share with you guys very quickly. He ran an orphanage 
among other things, he did a lot of things in his community, but he lived in a time of, of, of uh, cholera, so there was a lot of disease, a lot of poverty, and there were a lot of kids on the street who were homeless, they were orphaned. And so he, in his mind, was like, this doesn't reflect the kingdom of God. God is a father who cares for his, his children, so I'm here as a Christian, I wanna do something about it. So he purposed to have an orphanage where the kids could come and live. And he also purposed to never ask for a penny, but to do it all through prayer, to show the world and show the church what's possible through radical dependence in prayer. So he tells a story one morning after he had had uh, the, school, the orphanage set up and he had you know, kids living there. Um, they always had to have food. And so one morning, all the plates and the cups and the bowls on the table, they were empty. So you've got all these kids and then no food or drink on the table. And, and there was no food in the pantry, no money to buy the food. So the children were standing. They were waiting for their morning meal. And then George Mueller said, well, children, you know you must be in time for school. You can't be late to school. So he lifted his hands in prayer and he said, Father, thank you for what you are going to give us to eat. Which, by the way, somebody who was standing there might have been like, George, there is nothing to eat. And he might have been like, well, I saw Jesus do this once. And just give thanks. You know, that type of thing. He, he, George Miller was a man of great faith. So I'm sure that wasn't how it went down. But in my head, that's kind of how it went down. Jesus did this once, so I'm going to try it. God, thank you. And, uh, and apparently, uh, almost instantly after he prayed that prayer, he heard a knock. And there was a baker who stood there. There's witnesses to this. A baker, when they open the door, a baker says, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt that you didn't have bread for breakfast and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at two o'clock in the morning and I baked some fresh bread and I brought it to you. So all of a sudden there's bread for the kids. Mr. Mueller thanked the baker, closed the door, and no sooner had the baker left than he heard another knock on the door. And when he opens the door, it's a milkman. And he announced that his milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage and he would like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so that he could empty his wagon and repair it. All of the needs were met. Remarkable story. And he has story after story after story after story after story like it. This is one of many, which I don't have time, unfortunately, to tell them all. Here's a quote from him that I think helps to explain when he prayed for the daily bread, where he was coming from. He said, when I began the orphan work in 1835, my chief object was to glorify God by giving a practical demonstration as to what could be accomplished simply through the instrumentality of prayer and faith. In order thus to benefit the church at large, so that the church would benefit from seeing this sort of faith uh, met with God's provision, and that a careless world could see the reality of the things of God. By showing them in this work that the living God is still 4,000 years after you know, the scriptures were, began to be recorded, he's still the living God. This, my aim, has been abundantly honored. God has come through. Multitudes of sinners have thus been converted. Multitudes of children of God in all parts of the world have benefited from this work, even as I had anticipated. But the larger the work has grown, the greater the blessing bestowed in the very way in which I looked for blessing. For thousands, the attention of hundreds of thousands has been drawn to the work. People from all over the world are taking notice about what God is doing uh, through radical dependence and prayer. What he's, 
what he's providing. Tens of thousands have come to see it. People are here just to see it for themselves. All of this leads me to desire further and further to labor on in this way, to bring yet greater glory to the name of the Lord, that he may be looked at, listen to this, that he may be looked at, magnified, admired, trusted in, relied on at all times. My aim is this in my service. He's basically saying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I want to see your name magnified in the world. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That was his heart. And then he prayed for the needs and they were always met. Isn't that amazing? Our God is generous. He takes care of us. He knows what we need, especially as we're about his business. I know for me personally, I've shared the story, so I won't get too much into it. But when my wife Heather and I moved up here to Temecula, we didn't know how we were going to do it. We felt like God had called us to come up here to help see his kingdom come and will be done in Temecula and to see people come under his kingly, his good, loving rule and reign. And we didn't know how that was going to work out. So we started praying about everything. In North North Park, where where we lived, we had one car. We only needed one. Now we need a second car. We had no money for it. So we started to pray, God, we need need a car. And we have no, we didn't make, we just didn't have it. And we're praying and we're asking and we're petitioning God for this car. And then one day, I, I knock on the door, open the door. There's someone with a car for us. I'm not kidding. They had provided the car. God answered our prayer so that we could come up here. And he did that time and again with our house, with what we needed to live up here, etc., etc., etc. I can't get into it. But man, we saw that as we were about his kingdom work and seeking the life that pleased him of obedience, he provided what we needed in spectacular and miraculous ways. Got some friends, uh, last story, I got some friends, uh, dear friends who live in San Diego, uh, who they were our apprentices with our gospel community. Gospel communities are small communities of people that are learning to grow in the way of Jesus together as disciples. And we, we were helping them get ready to lead their own gospel community, which they did after we left. And um, they ended up getting pregnant and they had twins. And the situation was really difficult. They, were, they already had a couple of kids so to add twins on top of two younger kids, very difficult. And um, it was just a lot. It was a burden. It was a huge burden. And, and wife, the wife suffered from postpartum depression. And it was just hard. If you can imagine being up all the time, you're really going through a difficult thing emotionally, spiritually, and you're constantly in need. There's four young children who constantly need you. It was hard. And she had a point where she needed help. And so the cry, God, help us, take care of us, give us what we need to take care of these children as we're here about your work of making disciples, help us. And the church rallied. And the church at first sent people uh, to help at night, like a night watch, trusted people that would stay the night to help with the kids. That was the first thing. And then the church ended up raising, I think it was $10,000 to help uh, pay someone to be able to be able to help with the kids and with everything that was required and to share that burden. God met their needs. He provided what my friends needed. And there's story after story after story like this throughout church history. That's for you. It's for me. It's for us to remember. Our Father in heaven takes care of our daily needs. If we're about his business, he takes care of our business, if that makes sense. We do not have to fall into the deception of pride, which says, God, who are you? I don't need you. 
or panic. I'm on my own, I need to figure everything out on my own. It's all on my shoulders. We don't need to fall into pride or panic. We can petition God for all that we need. And if you prefer words with an A, we don't need to be arrogant on the one hand, and we don't need to be anxious on the other, but we can simply ask God for what we need. That is what Jesus is inviting us into. And Jesus makes it all possible through the gospel, through the good news of his life, his death, his resurrection, that has now made us forgiven and beloved children, forgiven sinners who can now approach our Father and know that he loves us and that he cares about us and he wants to give us what we need. So what do you need today? Do you need help with homeschooling your kids? Life has changed a lot in this pandemic. Do you need help with homeschooling your kids? Ask them. Are you struggling financially? Do you need a new job that gives you the flexibility to follow Jesus in other areas of your life? Ask him. He cares. Do you need to ask him for forgiveness? Because you've become proud about your accomplishments on the one hand and stuff that you've done. Or on the other hand, do you need to ask him for forgiveness because you have been consumed with anxiety and panic about your lack or your uncertainty about how you're going to be cared for on the other? Pride or panic? Do you need to repent of these things? Do you need to experience a fresh, uh, you need to have a fresh encounter with God and his grace and mercy? Ask him. I want to finish with this. Uh, I recently was texting with someone who told me that orphanages are a quiet place. I didn't know that. And the idea is if, if we don't fully know that our needs will be met, or if we think that it's conditional, it's conditioned, excuse me, that our needs will not be met. Let me try that again. If we don't know that our needs will be met on the one hand, or on the other, if we're conditioned to think that we, don't, we shouldn't ask because nothing's coming, then we will stay quiet and we will not speak out, we will not cry out. Orphanages are quiet places. So I wanna ask you, what kind of a church do you wanna be? We don't need to be an orphanage because we're not. We can make all of our requests, our petitions, asking God, loud and clear, this is what we need for today to be about your business. And we can keep asking until he answers our prayer. We're invited to. So church, I love you. Let's become a people who are continually repenting of arrogance and anxiety, of pride and panic, as we remember that we deserve nothing, but we have been graciously been given everything by our Father. And we can ask him for whatever we need. Love you, church. Hope that you guys have a great week.